0: Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where fall is always life. I'm your host, Thick, here with my co host, Nathan. Nathan, what's good, man? You know, honestly, man,
1: like, I know this would not help our ratings. In fact, it would drastically decrease our (laughs) listenership, but it feels like we should be recording like three times a week with the amount of just (laughs)
0: constant variation in everything we know to be true. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since we've had nonstop basketball action. And then with the playoffs, things are even accelerated more. And storylines change every day. And, you know, one night, one team looks good. They have a good shooting night. The next one, they have a bad shooting night. And we'll get into some of it. But it's hard to keep up. I feel like we need to record after every game. Um, otherwise, the takes are going to get stale real quick.
1: And the crazy thing is without, like, home court advantage, and you could argue without the rhythm of an 82-game season right beforehand, There's no one that's really firing on all cylinders every night uh, except you could have like a Blazers or the Celtics have played well like but it hasn't been like a consistent start to finish domination even from the best teams. But I'm going to save you the indignation of defending your boy LeBron and the Lakers against the Blazers in game one. We're going to get to that in depth. I want to start with the biggest travesty in the NBA and that is the Philadelphia 76ers. So, you know, they lost Ben Simmons earlier in the bubble, kind of wrote off their playoff hopes, especially once they got matched up with the Celtics, who, even though a lot of people were talking about how Embiid's such a problem for him, it was pretty clear that they just don't have the wing depth to compete with Boston. Um, They're now down 2-0, uh, you know, a lot of criticism that Embiid didn't get as involved in game one. He took 21 shots, 13 free throws today, so despite that, they still got their ass kicked, and it's just i mean we yelled about this last summer but you can't give a guy like tobias harris 180 million and a 33 year old al horford 110 million and honestly expect anything different than what they gave you today because that's their ceiling as players is that they're going to fill the gaps and they're not going to put you over the top it's not their fault they get paid the money they do but this is how the team is structured and It's going to be hard to get out of this hump.
0: And the thing is, Sixers fans talk themselves into, hey, look, uh, paying for Horford and getting Josh Richardson is well worth losing Jimmy Butler. Like, Josh Richardson can do a lot of – I mean, 80%, 70% of what Butler can do in terms of shooting, playing defense, not the go-to score necessarily – but then you have Horford added to the mix too, and so they were. You know, the Sixers fans were talking themselves into those contracts. We always knew Horford was somewhat of an albatross. I think Tobias Harris has finally shown his true colors, and you know, I I texted you this, but I think he really is just a glorified Rudy Gay. I don't even know if he's better than Rudy Gay uh, because Rudy Gay used to do the same thing where uh, when the pressure was on him to be a, a lead scorer or really kind of lead a team, he he couldn't do it. Um, consistently, and then tonight, you know, Tobias Harris shot four for fifteen when they needed his offense. They went to Joel early. Uh, he started off the game. I mean, he finished with an amazing stat line, thirty-four and ten, but no help across the rest of that team. And Tobias Harris has to be that number two guy. And so, when you've locked up that much money in a guy who can't even be a reliable secondary scorer, and in a Horford who's um, who can't even stay on the floor all the time, it's it's really a disaster. And Elton Brand. He's not looking, I mean, he's following a Vlade Divock-type path as a GM, you know, the more we kind of evaluate his decisions over the last couple of years.
1: Dude, this isn't a recent thing with Tobias Harris. Like, he's been a nice player who's now on his sixth team in his career. So there's a reason, you know, he is 28 years old and has played for six different franchises. And that's because he's just not very good. You called him, a, um, what was it, like a Rudy Gay with good PR, essentially is what he... Yeah, you know, essentially what he uh, projects out it, and and with with Horford, I think the fit was always curious because everyone was like, well, he's in beat insurance, and then you can play him next to him. Your primary reason for spending $110 million on a center should not be to back up the center you've already committed $150 million to. Then you throw in the $170 million point guard you signed to a five-year extension who cannot shoot the ball. And you essentially have three players making almost $450 million combined who ultimately play the same position. And that's some type of download big. And it, it never made sense from the start. You know, you could say what you want about Jimmy Butler and whether he wanted to come back or Redick and whether he wanted to come back. But there were other avenues to spend the money. And they went for broke last year, bringing in Butler and Harris. And who knows if that Kawhi shot doesn't go in in game seven, maybe we're writing a different story at this point. No. But this team outside of Embiid and to some extent Simmons is dead in the water. Um, you know, Firing Brett Brown, firing Elton Brand won't erase the damage that's been done for the last four years.
0: Yeah, and to your point about being kind of an insurance policy for Embiid, that's one expensive-ass insurance policy. Like, right. you should not be paying that much for insurance. And, you know, part of the—I think the narrative was also, look, Horford against Giannis. I think teams were looking at the Bucks and thinking about how they could stop Giannis. And so you can talk yourselves more into Horford because not only is the insurance for Embiid, but he has shown in the past he can play defense against Giannis. But— uh, these are head scratching decisions, man, and I you know Brett Brown's gonna get fired. I think that's, I think he's lost the team because they didn't play with a lot of fire today in the second half, and that looked like a team that, even in B's post game comments, were were pretty telling. And I think similar, to LeBron and the Lakers, he he blamed the lack of fans <laughs> as an excuse. Jesus Christ! And you know when guys are pulling that as an excuse, it's. Um, it's a little bit worrisome and and he looked his just his body language was was not great throughout that entire game so can
1: someone remind him that game would have been in boston garden so it's a damn good <laughs> thing there's no fans in game 2 against boston yeah against it's not, yeah
0: it works just you know as well against them uh the fa- having fans in there so i don't know they um that roster too i mean they just don't have enough offense like alec burks is getting is taking a lot of shots in the series He's been passed around from the Kings to the Warriors and unable to make contributions even on bad teams. So I don't really know what they have with this roster. You, you've tied up too much money in those guys. Um, Horford, you know, potentially is movable. There might be a team that bites on it. I don't know. But it, it's it's going to be hard. And I don't know what what the future is going to look like for them.
1: I was thinking about this as I was watching the Mavericks game, right? And even the Nuggets jazz game when you just think about the collection of players in this league and like the shooting prowess and the general skill set of an average player is so much higher than it used to be that I wonder if team building is going to truly shift away from the one two to three star model in the one to two star model with a ton of depth now I think there's that may be an extreme case but look at how vulnerable philadelphia was today without and you know game one without ben simmons like you just said alec burks he's actually been playing not that poorly for them but he's alec burks right there's a reason he is who he is there's a reason shake milton has never had an nba moment like they have so much money tied up that they make their infrastructure very very fragile um converse that with the way utah has played without mike conley who again they pay big money to and bogdanovich that's 40 million to 50 million dollars of salary that they have tied up in players who aren't on the team right now you know conley's coming back i think maybe game three possibly game four but bogdanovich isn't there and they are humming along and yes part of that is they lucked out a bit with donovan mitchell at the 13th pick etc but they still have Royce O'Neill, They still have Joe Ingles. They still have Jordan Clarkson. Like, all of these guys have had real moments. Same thing with um, with Dallas. You know, they ran the best offense in league history with Luka as their only all-star. Getting Seth Curry contributions. Freaking Trey Burke is playing well. And, like, I'm just wondering if every minute matters in the playoffs. And as much as we talk about, oh, like, LeBron can play 42 and AD can play 42 and whatever – Those six minutes are the difference between winning and losing. Um, And and in all honesty, it already makes the assumption that every minute your star is on the floor, you're going to win those minutes. And that's not the case. Like you look at Philly, they don't have the best player in the series, in my opinion. That goes to Jason Tatum. And so – they were never under the assumption they were ne- the go forward assumption when they built this team was Joel Embiid, except for Giannis is probably the best player on the court against anyone in the East. And suddenly that's not the case. And i wonder if that's going to create any
0: type of shift in the way teams think about roster construction. It possibly could. And part of it is just, you know, Joel Embiid at the end of the day is a center and I don't think you can lean on a center as your best player in the league anymore. I just don't think so. Like Anthony Davis Um, We're already seeing that across, you know, Chris is not a number one guy. Anthony Davis is not a number one guy. And I don't think, I don't know how far they're going to get with Embiid being in that role and um, not having enough around him. It's actually very similar. Like you ever watch like a dominant big man in
1: college who looks like shit because they can't get him the ball. Yep. I remember watching, as actually your Pac-12, it was against UCLA, but I was watching Arizona with DeAndre Aiden just like two years ago, and he scored every time he, get, he got the ball basically, yeah. and they just couldn't figure out a way to just give him a pass, and Philly suffers from a lot of those same issues, which, you know, but I do want to talk Boston for a quick second, because I've been, I mean, they've been super impressive, frankly, without the Hayward injury, you could argue that they're almost the favorites in the East in a way, I think the series next round with Toronto is going to be awesome because um, they match up really well with what the Raptors like to do. Let's let me ask you something. So for the next five years, right. Mm -hmm. If I had to give you the pick of Tatum, Luca, Giannis and Zion, those are all, they're all going to be in their twenties. I think Giannis is last year, maybe 30, but still prime territory. Those four players, how would you rank? Who would you
0: take? Zion last. Okay, yeah, same. Um, I Honestly, I might go Luka slash Tatum uh, at the top. Wow. You're then telling Giannis. me a DPOY
1: and two-time MVP is your third out of three in terms of the young generational talent. Luka's,
0: what, 21 years old? Yeah. I mean, not that Giannis is old, but um, you're locking Luka up for another— 15 20 years uh same thing with Tatum Tatum is what 21 years old
1: 21 or 20, 22 years
0: 22 yeah. um now here's the only reason now I think Luca's the answer I think there's a compelling case for Tatum and let me, let me tell you why and people have said this about Luca but Luca might be closer to a ceiling than uh people think and what I mean by that is he's somewhat limited by his athleticism like he, he can become a better three-point shooter right he's room, he's room to improve in his game. But he at the way he plays, I never I don't think he's ever gonna be an athletic kind of um, you know, end to end player like Tatum could be. I think Tatum, the way he's been playing, has the potential to be just an all time great kind of forward. Extrapolating quite a bit, but because of his athleticism, his defense has greatly improved, right? When you compare to Luca's defense, which is still, you know, not great. Yeah. Um and so there's an argument for Tatum. I'd still take Luca because just his passing, his ability to kind of single-handedly. I mean, they had the best offense this year, or in all time, one of the best offenses. Um, but I think Tatum actually. I put number two and Giannis number three mainly because of age. And Zion, I too many question marks.
1: Yeah. Spoiler alert. I agree with you on that exact top four. Um, I thought you would go Giannis two at least. So the case for Tatum is, like you said, all world two way player ultimate set of skills in terms of shot creation right he has the length right he's six foot nine i think six eight six nine at this point that the general feel for scoring the ball is just i mean you watch the guy and it's like his progression from last year he had a iso on al horford who played excellent defense on him and he you know gave him the jab step step back three in his mug, no, you know, full contest, nothing he could do about it. And like, there's very few players in the league that can do that. He reminds me of a little bit of a smoother, but maybe worse athlete of like a Paul George, right? Mm-hmm. But somebody who I think could be a number one on a great team, which Paul George has not shown that he can be. And I think the difference there is mentality. Like Jason Tatum like, is born to be that star. Luca, I have one. I agree defensively, there's a gap, and I don't think he's going to close that gap. It's not an experience thing as much as it's an athleticism team. But I think just like Harden's become a passable, passable defender, I think it's very probable for Luca to do the same. But the, what he has that Tatum will never achieve and never get to is the playmaking, the vision, the just, you know. He's not a cheap assist guy. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I think I think it's so fun to watch those two. Like if you you know Bill Simmons trade value column, I don't know who else would be in the top two other than those guys.
0: I mean, you could argue Giannis is still up. I mean, we're not. I don't. I think both of us are harder on Giannis than most. Uh, I mean, we acknowledge how great he is, but you know we've talked about his flaws a lot, and um, he's still young. Even though I brought up his age, he's twenty-five. I think twenty-five, twenty-six. I think he's twenty-six. Twenty-six. Yeah. Maybe, but he, uh, I, I think Giannis still he's he's improved leaps and bounds the last couple of years. But there's still some major holes in this game. Uh, while these guys, there aren't any major major holes, and they're so young that they could become passable in, in all categories. You would think by the time they even reach that same age.
1: Yeah, I just. I think with Giannis, and maybe this is the transition to, to the Bucks, right? I think with Giannis, the problem continues to be how can you get yourself and your teammates good looks when the game slows down? Um, continually, when the Bucks are running, it's truly unstoppable, right? It's true yeah. fear the deer type environment. They. Have shooters all over the floor. They have Giannis taking like five strides to get end to end, and it's nothing. Like and that they, it's all generated by their defense. But when that defense starts to falter, and you get to more inbounds passes, and in the playoffs, teams are running back on in transition defense more often, even off misses. So they're able to set before the Bucks get down the court. It's really hard for him because he doesn't have the KD. We talked about this so many times. He doesn't have the KD, Kawhi, one two step. I'm at my spot and I'm pulling up. And that's a reliable shot for me. Until he can develop that, he's never going to project as... Like, look, in game one, he had 31, 17, and 7. So if you saw that, you're like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what more do you want? Man, I want the man to do. Like, he he can only play one position. But when you really watch him down the stretch, he had one point in the fourth quarter, was very tentative to take a shot. The one big three that he had, I think, hit all glass. And you just, I mean... That's a huge hole that is going to separate him from, hey, I'm going to be a basketball reference page like Bonanza versus I am a top 10 player of all time.
0: Yeah, he the go to move is the biggest glaring weakness, because in the fourth quarter of that game, he's he's barreling towards the rim and he's going to get that called in the regular season. He's going to get the the blocking foul, or teams are going to sidestep that. But no, I mean, teams are going to play physical. They did that last year. Um, I mean, Boston, they they ended up losing, like, four in a row, but the first game gave him a lot of trouble. And then obviously Toronto uh, gave him a lot of trouble. And I think teams, every team is doing this in the playoffs. And so, he's got to come up with some kind of counter. And we've seen all the greats do this. Like, Kawhi has developed uh, that mid-range arsenal. LeBron developed a post-game early when it's in this time in Miami, which really helped that in a late game offense. Um, we haven't seen it yet. And I'm hoping maybe, like, I don't know if he has something. We, we only saw one game and we're, we might yeah. be overreacting, but I don't know if he has it yet. And the problem for the Bucks is if they don't win this year, I mean, there's huge implications. Giannis is likely, they got one more shot at it before he's a free agent. Um, So I don't know. Yeah, and, and like, look, Milwaukee, look, everybody's –
1: quoting the stat that the last time number one seeds lost on both sides in the same year was 2003. I don't think we're ready to go that far on either conference. But as you think about Milwaukee and L.A., who do you think is in more trouble? And I'm not talking about losing this series. I'm talking about for them and for the Clippers, not winning a title is a failure of a season. So who between Milwaukee and the Lakers
0: are you more concerned about getting to that point? 100% 100% Milwaukee, 100%. Look, you can't, and, and this is because you had a historic season, the Bucs. You had Giannis, a historic MVP season. That team, everything that was great about the Bucks last season, they were better this year. Um, You know, a historic, historic season. And there are no excuses. LeBron's not in the East. I mean, he wasn't in the East last year, but he's not in the East. Kawhi's not in the East. Like, this is a... You have a Boston team that has its issues and its own injuries. You have a Raptors team that's without Kawhi. Uh, Who's there to challenge you? And if they don't get out of the East this year, I think it's an indictment on Bud. Not necessarily an indictment on Giannis because he still has time to improve, but it's this formula is not working. They've tried this Giannis and shooters formula now for three years in a row. If they can't win when they've had the best team and the the favorite to come out of the East, if they can't win this year, who's to say they're going to win again? Like then next year, I don't know if they can run it back again. Like, at some point, yeah. you have to acknowledge that this formula doesn't work, um, or the coach doesn't work. Like, so I I think they're in more trouble. The Lakers look that roster construction it's is bad. not it's, ideal, and it's it's, a, it's, un, it's a, unsightly. It's it's a disappointment if the Lakers don't win the finals. Like that should be a failure for that organization. But at the same time, the Clippers are a big threat, and you know it. Really, people treat it as a coin flip who would come out of the West. Um, and yeah, but look, so.
1: if you're the number one seed, then the expectation is, especially by like four or five games, the expectation is that you are the in the driver's seat to win the title. You can't say, well, the Clippers are good and blah, blah, blah. I mean, they're always going to be good teams. Any team that meets you in the conference finals is going is going to be great. It's not like the Clippers are the Warriors who have played together for five years and who have gotten three rings. This is still a brand new Clippers team who's, even in the playoffs, every other night a guy is sitting out for a random reason. So I don't think that the Lakers losing to the Clippers would be like, oh, that's okay, the Clippers were also good.
0: It's not necessarily okay, but at the end of the day, it's understandable, and you have, you're have you're married to LeBron and AD. They're going to be there. They're not leaving. You have Giannis, and if you don't win with Giannis and you don't win with this team, that's in jeopardy. So I don't... I don't see it as being as uh, dicey of a situation for LA if they don't win this compared to Milwaukee. If Milwaukee wins this, it's or loses in the playoffs this season, especially if they lose before the Western Conference or Eastern Conference Finals. You got to sound the the panic alarm for uh, for Milwaukee fans.
1: So look, there's no version in which Milwaukee loses to or, or La- uh, yeah Orlando. Sorry, that's brain yeah. cramp here, but, but Miami. Oodin- but yeah, Miami, I mean, look, Miami is a really, really well-coached, solid team with, again, a lot of wings to disrupt Giannis and to disrupt Middleton. This is why they went and got Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder. They already have Jimmy Butler. They have, you know, Derek Jones might play some spot minutes. They have Bam Adebayo, who's going to be great on switches and great when Giannis goes small ball five. So they're already in trouble in round two. But to your point on Budenhoser, a classic example that he, his inability to make on-the-fly adjustments. It's what really stops him from getting into that next level of the nurse, pop, you know, uh, Stevens echelon of coaches because in the regular season, there isn't night-to-night scheming. There's just too many games. You play too often. You're just trying to, like, honestly stay healthy and get through the year. So it's not like there's going to be a lot of schematic moves by the opposing coach, and therefore you don't need – you can – it's almost like, you know, in NFL games, you call your first 15 plays ahead of time. Bud thrives on the scripted plays. You know what I mean? And when it gets time for him to make on-the-fly decisions, he struggles. You, you have a situation where Vucevic is drawing out to the perimeter. I think he hit like five threes um, in game one. And uh, you know Terrence Ross is putting Brook Lopez in the torture chamber and Chris Middleton. And he's not making any adjustments to actually shift around the rotations. Like, look, sometimes Brook Lopez is going to get played off the floor. You have to be willing to accept that and figure out a way to build your team around, whether that's Giannis at the five or, you know, some other format. Now, the problem with with, I think they really miss Nikola Miritic from last year. I think he would have played a pretty pivotal role in this team. But, you know, that's the reality. So I agree that I'm more worried about Milwaukee, but I don't think that's because Lakers have an out losing to the Clippers. Because if we're talking title or bust, then the Bucs also have an out of losing to the Clippers, right? It's not about how far you get. It's literally a binary outcome, I think, for those three teams. Um,
0: yeah, but I'm, I'm more worried about the Bucs. I'm talking about a team not losing in the finals. I'm talking about a team losing before the finals. Okay, so um, yeah.
1: I think right now if the Bucs and Celtics played, I would pick the Celtics.
0: And and I think the the problem with Bud, too, is that he treated the first game like a regular season game. Um, He didn't have a tighter rotation. He had a similar rotation he did in the regular season games. He played 10 guys over 10 minutes. Um, And he was managing minutes for some reason in a game that they were down and they needed. And look, yes, they can afford to give up one game and win the next four, but this is not the tone you want to set with a number one seed, with knowing the playoff failures you've had in the past. And I think this is – he just may not be a great coach. Like there is a difference between a great regular season coach and, and a good postseason coach. Yeah. And, you know, maybe Bud is the problem. I don't know. But I, I don't know. I, I don't have any faith in him. And I still haven't seen enough from Giannis to be confident that, like you said, this team would beat Boston or even beat Toronto. In the.
1: Yeah. I no, know. I am we still need to have a lot of doubt in the supporting cast. Right? Chris Middleton, 4 of 12. Um, you know – Eric Bledsoe was okay, 5'11", but Brooke Lopez, 2 of 9. Um, Dante DiVincenzo, 1 and 6. Just kind of going, Pat Connaughton, 1 of 4. So you go down the list of all these guys that they're actually counting on a decent bit. Middleton is a max player star that they've positioned next to Giannis. Now, they, sh- they kind of had no option but to resign him, so I'm not questioning that. But you do have to question whether he's good enough to win a title, uh, next to Giannis. Now you could argue this kind of goes in contrast to what I mentioned earlier about building teams with more quality, yeah. but those guys actually have to be consistent. And I think we saw this from the bucks last year. sounds, looks like, uh, you know, we may see this again this year. Um, but look, it could also be all for naught, right where we're overreacting to one game. They haven't played well, all bubble. And teams are going to go back to missing threes against them because they did build the league's best defense for two years. So you can't exactly call their style fluky. Um, I just think it's interesting that time year and and again, you kind of have these same issues cropping up. It's like talking about the Sixers. It's basically just like ramming our head into the wall and every three months we'll get on the pod and say the exact same thing about these teams.
0: Middleton's the most interesting one to me because he's, he is the classic blog boy favorite. Advanced stats love him. He does everything. This season, he was scorching hot from three. Yeah. Um, so that it's like, like you said, you have to give him the max at that point. Like he's done everything to show that he's a secondary player, but every time the playoffs comes around, I think he had one good series last year. Yeah. Um, And he's just, I don't know what's up with these guys. Like they just vanish and. You know, it's it's hard to actually find really great secondary players. Like usually, a team with a star, how many teams can really count on their second guy to consistently show up? There's actually not as many as you think. Because even a team like the Clippers, Paul George, how much do you trust? Right?
1: Yeah, Um, it's
0: crazy, man. And so, but but even then, like you're you're paying him a ton of money, and he's got um, a tough. He's put in a tough position because when teams do shut down Giannis, and The shooters aren't getting open. He's the guy who's got to buy a bucket, and he hasn't shown that he can do that consistently.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's the perfect number three on a team, right? If you like somehow superimposed him on the Lakers roster and kicked KCP out of the bubble, Mm -hmm. that team is winning the title hands down, right? Because he's actually hitting open shots, but when you're asking him to do all this off the ball creation, when you're asking him to like play an elevated role and be a defensive menace, right? Because Giannis isn't going to expend his energy guarding the best perimeter guy on the other team. Then you run into a situation where suddenly Chris Middleton's like, I know I got paid, but you know, let's think (laughs) about timing and that sort of thing as to why um and so i think you know it it should be interesting and i think they'll probably come back tomorrow and smash toronto uh smash orlando god why do i keep i think orlando just like getting orlando out of the bubble early um (laughs) and so then you know then it's going to come back and be like maybe they're fine look toronto lost to orlando last year in game one and Maybe it's fluky like that. This one felt a little bit more like an ass kicking than that did. But um so switching gears to the Lakers really quickly, you sort of touched on this, but is should we be worried about LeBron at this point? I mean, he's year 17, he's almost 36 years old. He's played more minutes, I think, than anybody in history in terms of like playoffs plus regular season. At what point are we worried? Not that he's still not one of the premier players in the game, but that he can't flip the switch like Game Six, Boston, LeBron.
0: I, I think they should be worried right now. Um, as a lifelong LeBron fan, he does look like he's lost a little bit of a step, um, and you could tell he was scared to drive. You know, he he had that got blocked late by Whiteside, but. He was scared to drive into Portland's bigs um, and was looking to dish it out early. He was not as aggressive getting to the paint. Now, I I know LeBron uses game ones as feeling out games. I've said this before. Um, He rarely has big game in game one in most series. uh, And he usually comes back hard in game two and game three. But I think the worrisome thing for the Lakers is this is not the LeBron of the Cleveland years or the Miami years where you can let him just go to work and he's going to win games for you. Yeah. Um, he's still an amazing player. I still think he's the best player in the league. Um, <laughs> and I know that's controversial. It's, uh, it's not controversial. It's but I wrong. think they – look, Anthony Davis is the – he was the problem with that team last night. Um, he's they always going to be the problem. Yeah, but, but my point is they uh, everyone's waiting for, for LeBron to do something. And I think that role needs to fall more heavily on AD's shoulders. And the way they played last night um, – he didn't look like he wanted that role or wasn't capable of taking that role. And that's that's worrisome for the, more worrisome for the Lakers than anything I'm seeing from LeBron. A.D. has
1: mastered the my box score looks fucking sick and my team still lost yep. combination. And I've I've said this to you multiple times. What are his relevant playoff moments in his career? He swept the swept Blazers, the Blazers. <laughs> as a 6-3, I think three years ago and then immediately got dumped by the Warriors. His other time that he was in the playoffs, granted, with a very skeleton, shitty Pelicans team, they got swept by the Warriors. So this is the first time he's ever played from a position of favorite. And although he had a phenomenal year, he there's a reason why the Lakers were worse with him on the court and LeBron off, because he just isn't impactful enough offensively or frankly even defensively, as good as he looks on tape and as good as his numbers are. Um, you already alluded to the fact that big men, it's hard to run your offense through them effectively. Um, especially because he's not surrounded by knockdown shooters right now. There's gonna be guys that catch fire, right? Like tomorrow KCP could hit five threes or or Danny Green could could get hot. And you know Kuzma's potential for 25 any given night you just don't know where it's going to come from and you don't know if it's going to come from anyone at all. And that's their big problem. Um, They don't have anyone that's any semblance of like reliability from the supporting cast. It's easily the worst supporting cast that LeBron has played with outside of his stars in his like Miami onwards career. Like obviously some of those early Cleveland teams, we don't really ignore those, but you know what I mean? Like, in terms of, like, here's my stars and here's everyone else, is by far the worst lineup I've seen. And it's also the worst version of LeBron we've seen since early in his career. He, yep. His cerebral aspect of the game is as good as ever, right? That's why he's still making, like, sports Center, Hassel highlights-type passes, but... He's not elevating. He's not taking that beating down low. He's picking and choosing his spots. It's, it's the reason why I think he was committed to being more of that facilitator point guard role, led the league in assists, still got his 25 because he's great. But how many more nights can he just give you 40 because you need 40? Because last night they didn't need the 16 or 17 assists or whatever he had. They needed buckets, and he was shying away from what's been an atrocious defense in Portland.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, uh, there are times where you know Gary Trent Jr. is on him and he's yeah. not taking him <laughs> to the rack. Like, so, it, I, a lot of it does fall on LeBron. I think you know the other telling stat from the night was Anthony Davis. I think, I don't think any of his baskets that he made were uh, unassisted, um, or maybe yeah. it was like one. And yeah. so everything was getting you know he was getting fed easy buckets. Um, I mean, he made a couple of tough shots, but nothing done in one on one. Nothing when he actually had to generate a bucket, he was uh, abysmal. No jumpers. And, I think he don't. He didn't make a shot outside the restricted area. Yeah, and so this is – that's – the Lakers, the rest of the roster, like you said, they're going to get hot a couple games. They're going to have better shooting nights. They shot abysmally. I expect game two they'll turn it around. And if they even shoot average, they, they'd win. They'd right? win. But, the, but we're talking about the Portland. Like Houston's going to be a track meet. Um, Houston shot are gonna 52
1: threes uh, yesterday. And that's, yeah. like, commonplace for them.
0: Yeah, and so you're going to have to have a few games where you can match that or, or out outshoot them. And if you can't and, – and, you know, part of it, I think, I didn't like what Vogel um, – he relied too much on KCP and, and Caruso was okay, but I think they should unleash, unleash Dion. He's, he's kind of earned his minutes now. He's been playing pretty well in the bubble. He at least is a spark plug off the bench. He can string three and four buckets together. Right now the problem with these guys, Danny Green, Caruso, if they're not getting – Fed perfect – even when they're getting fed picture-perfect passes and they're wide open, they're not hitting shots. But you need a guy – like, even even JR, they can just get two, three buckets in a row. And that's all this team needs. Like, they they had so many stagnant scoring stretches. Um, So,
1: yeah, in Vogel's defense, and I don't normally – do this with like coaches who drive me fucking insane with rotations. But in his defense, he's going to be more conservative than Twitter warriors are because it's not our jobs on the line to be like, get Danny green out of the game. But Danny green has given him 82 games, right. Or whatever. He's given him a full season. He's won a title last season as a starter. It's very hard for that to just be like, well, Dion waiters had like two good games in the bubble. Why don't you just make him a starter and a focal point of your offense? It, as much as we criticize, that move and maybe it's like well they need a shot in the arm you have to do something you also have to think about player egos you have to think about player minutes rotations everything they're used to if you suddenly just throw it by the wayside because they lost one game in the bubble to portland then what do you do when you need danny green or kcp again because deon waiters and jr smith oh wait guess what they went cold um have you lost those guys Are are they mentally shook like this is the problem with role players is and actually one of the reasons why I think a lot of role players have shined in the bubble, incidentally, is because there isn't that like crowd atmosphere sort of pulling their you know emotions back and forth. I think Steve Kerr had made a point in the last dance where he was like, look, as a role player, you only get five shots a game and you spend thousands of hours shooting and you get five tries a game and you got to make it count like the, the mental gymnastics that you have to go through to be in that position, I think jerking the rotation around after one game when they led the entire Western Conference and wins is probably not what he's looking to do.
0: So I, I totally agree. I don't think you can make trust. And Vogel and knows better than us. He's seeing practice. He knows what, what these guys are like. And KCP was a more obviously focal point of that roster. He's there the entire season compared to JR and Dion, who just joined. Uh, but that being said, KCP's not some... Uh, look, Avery Bradley, with him gone that guard rotation was already in kind of up in the air. And look, this is the time where you're going to have to try a few things. Maybe you will do it in game two, game three, because I I agree, like later on in the playoffs, you can't be jerking these guys around. So you need to figure out who are the guys you can trust. And just based on the regular season, I don't know if KCP is that guy. Bradley was. I don't know if KCP is that guy. So maybe not in game one, but I think they got to try a couple different things because, um, these guys are just breaking open. It's Look, bad. Open. And Danny Green's going to have to stay out there. Like he's, You're going to have to hope he gets his form back. because yeah, you need his but, defense. And you need his defense, which also... But he's actually too crazy.
1: slow. He's too <laughs> yeah. slow to guard Lillard and McCollum. They're just too shifty. And, I mean, Lillard's on... He's on fucking Neptune right now. Like, he's on another planet altogether. But... Yeah, Green can't even guard the two guards that he, they need him to to lock down. So that's kind of a catch-22. But look, this isn't anything surprising to us. Like, the Lakers were the worst offense in the bubble. I think even inclusive of the Wizards. So at some point, yeah. we should have seen that this would translate to the playoffs. Like. We always talk about the switch, even with the Clippers. We're like, oh, they have the switch, and now the Clippers are one and one, and in a dogfight, and could have been easily been down zero and two if Kristaps doesn't get ejected. So, all these foregone conclusions we had, I think it's actually coming to a pass where no one has looked good for like consecutive games, you know, no. except for a very few hand, uh, handful of teams.
0: Yeah, no one is strung together. I mean, no good team. Yeah. A contender has strung together a really good stretch. Toronto being the only one uh, who's at least played yes, with Toronto and only lost once in, yep. since they've been in the bubble. Um, outside of that, every team has had their ups and downs. Do so. you want to talk about the Clippers next? Yeah, let's go
1: to the Clippers. Um, playoff P is in our lives once again. <laughs> I just can't believe the Clippers still yeah. don't have more than one game where all their guys play. Like Beverly sat out today because of a quad or something like a hamstring. I mean, I think he's just happier just chirping in a mask on the (laughs) sidelines than actually playing. Um, I was thinking about this as deep as we've always thought they were. They're one guy away from Reggie Jackson territory, and that's a very scary reality. He was playing down the stretch for them today against the um, Mavericks.
0: But the funny thing is, I'm not as down on Reggie Jackson as everyone else is. I thought he he's a very he's a serviceable player.
1: Um, You must not have PTSD from everything he did in Oklahoma City and Detroit to torpedo. Well, that he
0: was he was playing out of his role and given too much power on those teams. He
1: was fine today, but it's just it terrifies me that I see him in the crunch time lineup. Because I know that's going to turn its ugly what, head at some point. What I don't understand is what's
0: happening defensively. Like, what is... This was an all-switchable... You have two dominant, you know, wings on defense. And that was the, the knock against the Mavs, uh, you know, playing the Clippers. They got dominated in the regular season. Luka struggled against them. Um, and now, they can't slow him down at all. Yeah, uh, They can't slow any of Dallas's wings. And they're giving up open look after open look and just... Easy paths to the rim. I don't know. Like watching them defensively is this, this was supposed to be like that was their identity, right? They had enough half court offense. They, they had guys like Lou Will, Kawhi, Paul George, who can get you buckets, but they were going to play a, a tight defensively. And I don't know what's happening. They're getting into these track meets and then they can't keep up with the score.
1: There does feel like, and this isn't going to jump off in terms of any type of stat or box score I can point to, but it does feel like still a lackadaisical type of demeanor in a sense like we're going to be in game seven of the finals and it's going to be hey if only the Clippers start focusing and locking down for four quarters they're going to be unstoppable like they're going to be home out of this bubble not winning the title and we're going to be like man that team when they're good they're good and at some point, you gotta be—you are who you are—and—and and I wonder if—if if like the lack of continuity, the lack of a real urgency, not just in the bubble games, but even all season, has really hurt them, right? Kawhi is Kawhi; he's destructive force. He's always gonna play well. He plays well almost every single game, um, but. You know, after that, there's a lot of variability, including from Paul George. Tonight, 4 of 17, 2 of 10 from 3, you know, minus 13 on the court. And some Total shots look
0: bad. Bad. He, he airballed that 3 in the fourth quarter or third I think, quarter. I
1: think he did. He also had a backboard 3 in the fourth uh, down the stretch. And, yeah, the, the Luka thing is really interesting, though, because they did handle the Mavs. I think they played three or four times, as you said. So they handled them, and that's why everyone thought this could be a quick series. But... You know, this is also not the same Luca. I think he's gotten even better um, during the pandemic. Kristaps looks way more comfortable. Um, Again, you got to remember, Kristaps hadn't played basketball in 20 months. So it's not unrealistic to think he took four to five months to just get his way back into what it felt like. And I love their role players. I mean, this team was supposed to be in the lottery. So a lot of these guys were like, I love them after the fact, but. You know, Kleba, Hardaway Jr., I love Seth Curry. I can't believe how cheap they, they got him for. Um, I Wizards fans did a tour of duty with Trey Burke, so I'm just not going <laughs> to speak on that, assuming that's uh, going to stop at some point. And these guys aren't scared, man. Luka's fucking 21. He's not scared.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, the interior defense, we've talked about this early on uh, for the Clippers as a weakness. I mean, Boban was working them. Uh he played ten minutes and that ten minutes him and Luca had a little two man game going mm-hmm. and it was just easy bucket after easy bucket. And I, I wonder that doesn't we always knew this was one of the weaknesses for the Clippers, but you know, not only were they getting beaten outside, they were getting beat down down um in the paint. And so that, that doll seems nice, but once again it's another it's another team where when their guys are all hitting threes, it looks great, they're off just yeah. clicking, but then you'll also have a game where Seth Curry, Trey Burke, Hardaway Jr. all shoot under forty yeah. percent. Yeah, and so, Luca's you know, taking
1: step back threes with two yeah. seconds on the shot
0: clock, and they're blowing every lead known to man. Exactly. So I, all these games, man, these teams feel like they can get hot, they can go cold, and it's there's so much variance. I don't feel like it's a weird NBA right now. It's, it's a really weird NBA. I don't know if I like it. I, I can't tell which some of these teams are actually good or if it's just
1: so. Yeah it's actually multiple factors, right? One is, I think it's obvious, like the long-term trend of like more threes and therefore everyone is more adept at shooting threes. And we know threes create variance, which means that like, you know, not predicted results happen more frequently, all that stuff. Not going to give you a stats one-on-one here. But Mm -hmm. the second thing is, it seems like, and I think shooters have talked about this, where the bubble is just easier to shoot in because the depth perception issues aren't there. It's Back to just kind of playing in a gym where you're almost like you're practicing. And, you know, any of these guys, if they're in practice, they're going like 88 out of 100 type thing. Right. So even though there's a live game, like there's an element where you just eliminate a lot of like the variables with the fans and with like the refs getting swayed, like you've mentioned before. And, and, you know, like you can't hear each other and. There's this momentum that's carrying you like even look at the betting lines, right? On average in an NBA game, the home team is given a four point edge, right? Let's say the Clippers are playing the Mavs and they're already based on on a neutral court. Let's say they're four points better. And then if they're playing at Staples Center, they're given another four. So they're eight point favorites. When you take out that second four, four goes to zero very quickly. Yeah, You know, I don't mean to state the obvious, but like you're just a lot closer to being a 50 50 game. And that's why when everyone's like, I don't see why the neutral site would really change anything about who's expected to win. It's not that it would change who's expected to. It changes how likely that outcome is. Um, Like Toronto smashed Brooklyn in game one and through three quarters, Brooklyn was outplaying them and they had the lead. If this was an Air Canada center, that's, I mean, that's no. foregone conclusion. It's 2-0 yeah. before you can even, like, blink. And I think that matters.
0: You know, the other thing is the fans' excuse has been thrown around, and it sounds so dumb, like, you know, when LeBron was like, oh, we wish we had the fans here. Um, Embiid said it today. Part of me wonders, though, for some of these really good teams, um, think about it. If you're a really good team, yeah, oftentimes the fans are going wild because you're off and winning. Like yeah. you look at the Warriors, the perfect example. Like they just feed off that energy.
1: Yeah, Steph like, hits the three, starts shimmying, everyone jerks themselves off.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. So right, so that's an, a, obviously an outlier example, but imagine if you put the Warriors in the bubble. Um, does their performance suffer a little bit because they don't have that energy to feed off of? Like naturally the yeah, better I think teams so. are going to feed off crowd energy more cuz they get more crowd energy. They're leading more times than a bad team would be. So I think there might – I don't think that's an excuse, but I think there might be something to that where teams haven't adjusted um, and it doesn't feel real to them that this is a playoff game. And it sounds dumb. It should feel real, but it's – I don't know. I, the bubble – I think it is – it's not a um, – just a coincidence that a lot of the top teams have gone down in the first two games. Like I think if you played this all at home court, the Clippers, Bucks, Lakers, at least two of those series would be 2-0. and Yeah, And, and, and yeah, absolutely. And like, it's not
1: that the home court uh, affects the intensity of the game. I think it affects like the momentum of the game, which, you know, if you talk to some like extreme stat heads, like they don't believe in momentum and there's all this fuck, fuck off. Cause (laughs) I'm telling you when Steph hits that three and it goes from three to six or six to nine, it's over. We've seen this so many times crowds going wild. They call the timeout. Nobody can hear anything. It's done. You might as well go home. And so, you know, that's why the Wizards, if they just brought all their guys, would have dominated this thing because that's their environment anyway. (laughs) And So it doesn't matter. It's like everybody feels like they're right at Verizon Center or Cap One Center. So, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think there are some series like you take Denver, Utah. I feel like you play that anywhere in fucking Moscow, in the, you know, Chilean plains. That's going seven no matter what. Like, yeah. I feel like that's definitely going seven. It's such an evenly matched and both are both are skilled and flawed in like very similar ways. Um, and, you know, that's serious. By the way, I don't almost know that it's being given enough attention that Donovan Mitchell was one overtime away from breaking the all time playoff record that's been held for 24
0: years. It, like, it's I because we become desensitized. Or 34 man. years, excuse we've me. we become desensitized to all the scoring. Like, like you, you told me a week ago, T.J. Warren and four less points, and I know it's not in the playoffs, but like that's why it's hard for yeah. us to give it the respect it deserves. Because you're right, 57 is just you're talking close to that you know, Jordan, second it's, to Jordan in the playoffs.
1: Third, I think Elgin Baylor. Or had third, sorry, third. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's like, what are we talking about? Like that should be the leading, and then and they lost just like well, they Jordan lost. actually. That's did. Part of the
0: reason, yeah. yeah.
1: Nobody, um, listen, nobody's making a Donovan Mitchell doc and talking about how he looked like God dressed as Donovan Mitchell like they were about Jordan. Meanwhile, the man is six three buckets short of, you know, beating that record.
0: Yeah, so what does that say about Jordan, man? Maybe all the slurping is a little bit unnecessary.
1: Yeah, he's honestly, you know, discount Donovan Mitchell with a good PR team. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I think, you know... There's a lot of moving pieces right now. I think like you haven't even touched on Houston, uh, OKC, which everyone expected, you know, OKC to make kind of a, a push, especially without Westbrook. But Harding kind of put the clamps down there. And then, you know, Miami, Indian, and I think is one of those like well-coached, hard-fought, well-played series. But ultimately, no, I want to watch none of. Yeah, like I just like I kind of want to check in with every 10 minutes, 30 minutes, really. So
0: yeah, so you're not checking in every 10 minutes. <laughs>
1: Honestly during the workday I'll check in every five seconds if it oh, helps. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um what
1: yeah, what else is out there? I don't know, I'm trying to think. Um Oh, let me ask you this. We didn't get the chance to talk about this, but what did you think about the playing game?
0: I I loved it. Dude, I think they gotta do this. They gotta bring us yeah. to the, the regular season um permanently. There was it felt like a playoff game. There was something at stake. Uh, Memphis. Everyone thought Portland would kind of handle Memphis. Memphis was up that entire game. Yep. Um, Now I think they're gonna have to figure out if they want to bring this to regular season. I don't think it should be a four game cushion. Obviously, that's how it was this year. It should be something much closer.
1: Yeah, like two, Um,
0: like two games. But look, this is awesome. Like make it a thing. The weekend. The only thing I think they messed up with is they should have made that a Thursday Friday and then started the playoffs on Saturday Sunday. Yeah. Um,
1: Which because is what they usually do.
0: Yeah, because at, you, the playoffs starting on the weekend is like it felt weird starting on 10:30 on Monday morning. Yeah. NBA playoffs kicks off. So that's yeah. the only mistake I think they made, but other than that, I think it was it was fantastic.
1: And obviously the ratings are going to suffer as a result of that. I think the first returns were those early games obviously yes. didn't do well. Um, but the late games did, which is encouraging. Yeah, so I think normally the regular season ends on Wednesday and the first game is Saturday. So it actually would you know, in a typical season be fine. I think in this case it was literally just a matter of like July 30th is yeah. the earliest we can stand up our operations and do the full quarantine so and that's do how the like the
0: timing worked out.
1: Yeah, it was just what it was. Um and I'm sure they also work backwards from from like when they want the finals to start or when they want the you know, because they'd have yeah. just less choice in that. But I agree. I think the other weird thing is, uh, you literally aren't showing anything else. Like, why is it on at two thirty Eastern <laughs> or or two thirty Central? I can't remember what it was, but like, why make that eight PM? Um, yeah. Nobody's doing anything else. I don't know why I didn't get a primetime slot. Um, Phoenix going eight zero and not being in the playoffs is, in a way, they're like they're all happy with themselves because they build great momentum going into next year, but. It's kind of crazy that a team could be invited and do that and still not actually get a chance oh, yeah. to participate.
0: That's a total indictment on the fact that why they invite 22 Phoenix? teams? Yeah. yeah. And I get it. Like I know like, some people are like, "Oh, if Phoenix goes 8 and 0, they should just make it. Like why would you invite them?" And I get it. It's like they need help. But if you need you need to go 8 and 0 and you need help, like that's you're asking for a miracle. At that point just leave them out.
1: I'm telling um, you, this was literally driven off of, okay, we need Zion in, fine. But they could have cut it off at the Pelicans, right? Or whoever was in that same number of games back. But then the East needed a team. So to go back to be able to get yeah, the next you had to, no, to get
0: Phoenix. I get, I get what happened with the logic for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Phoenix, I think the Phoenix Portland would have been a really interesting playing game. Uh, Memphis. Oh, that's what we wanted yeah and memphis really played hard like jaw went crazy he had like 35 or whatever but i know. dude i'm uh i've the last couple of weeks have made me even higher on Ja. everyone's been high on job ja, but he like in that portland game i the way he was kind of creating shots at the end of the game and, and keeping them in it going one-on-one like toe-to-toe with lillard and the rest of that blazers offense i, I mean i was really impressed like I feel like every team, every time I watch a team in the West, Phoenix, Memphis, everyone has a better promising future than the Kings. I think the Kings might be the worst team in the West. So it's just kind of demoralizing every time I watch these teams. Like you Even could, Minnesota. you got. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. it's between you yeah. and Minnesota.
1: But Towns is the best prospect of those two teams.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So. Is it uh, time in the podcast to talk about uh, the fact that the bandwagon is not the only vehicle Suns players have been on?
0: you want to all right yeah so tell us what you're talking about
1: uh so you know just a casual casual viral tweet uh from i guess due to background investigation seemed like a couple years ago um all i'll say is i think uh, a number of suns players had some fun um (laughs) and this really this really supports your notion that thoughts are getting into the bubble
0: Yeah. I mean, these guys – that story – did it ever come out when that happened? I think it was two years
1: ago because she had said that – so
0: for the background,
1: there's seven dudes on the Suns that all – Hung out with one lady on one night, um and she said Ubre was not on the team yet, and so he got traded the season before last got
0: it. that's the clue. That's yeah, the
1: that's clue. the clue. We're out here, you know, we got basketball reference on one side and TMZ on one side to try to like piece the story together. I mean,
0: the weirdest thing about that story is they were all in the room together, just taking turns, uh, which I mean, yeah, it shows that these guys are um these guys are thirsty man, and so I All that talk about the IG thoughts in the bubble. Um, I think maybe right. Maybe the NBA has an agreement. You know, certain cameras are turned off at certain points of the day, and you just kind of you know turn the other, turn a cold shoulder. I don't know because that story was wild. If that's true, it's just, uh, and that's one story. There's probably plenty of those. Oh, there's plenty of stories. Almost like with young teams like the Suns. The first thing I thought of was like, all right, that's a young team. I could see uh, them getting into that kind of a situation. I had to go to the temple right after I watched the video. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt bad for that girl's mom. I'm like, dude, this is a,
1: uh, I want to yeah. in the world. Based on how that interview went, I'm pretty sure she's already feeling kind of bad about about things and, and, and potentially like other random incidents of, of similar notion. But um, yeah, man, these guys get down. There's no question yeah. about that. But on that note i think it's time to conclude um put a wrap on this episode i almost feel like in a way talking about too many things means we're going to be wrong about too many things because it's all going to go to shit especially yeah. this time this time next week when the lakers are up 3-1 or 4-1 or whatever they get to and the bucks too we're going to be you know Can't, laughing
0: ass yeah. yeah that's the problem with when doing podcasting in the playoffs it's just Things change so much and so quickly. Uh, we've only had one game, two games max from some of these series. So
1: we got to go Zach Lowe and strictly just talk about percent of plays like random players have spent in the dunker spot. And just like, that's the analysis. <laughs> <laughs> no takeaways, just
0: like Harris, the stats that I'm going to present to you. The one other thing I want to bring up before we sign off, um, you know, great news on the Kings side. Finally, Vlade oh, is gone. Um, I meant to mention this to you, Yes. Or I meant to bring it up. Yeah, and, you know, that was the biggest fear for the Kings is that we're running this back another year. Vladi got an extension not too long ago. Uh, the Vec has finally, you know, grown some balls, ousted Vladi, and now we have a kind of an executive search firm coming in and, and taking the reins. And here's where know. I'd like to step in. Uh, this executive search firm,
1: uh, Pat Forty, was actually hired last year by the Wizards. And he looked yeah. far and wide to find our back our next GM, only to arrive at the guy who was reporting to the dude who just tormented us for 16 years. And Tommy Shepard was oh, promoted yeah. into the main GM. All that to say, I hope you don't have to look far. It sounds like whoever Vladi's de- direct report is will be the ingenious decision that you know this guy who gets paid millions of dollars will come up with. Well, obviously, man,
0: yeah, <laughs> consultants, <laughs> right? Well, obviously, um, the the Kings, knowing that they can't, this won't just go smoothly. Like Kings fans, this is what we wanted: bring an independent search him, bring advisors, make the right decision, take your time to make the you know. And it's already come out that Scott Perry is you know the favorite among everyone internally, and um, the Scott Knicks Perry guy? is what who every yeah the next guy every Kings fan does not want. Scott Perry, he actually did four months with the Kings back in 2017 um, before he got hired away by the Knicks. But he, you know, in Orlando, in New York, he hasn't done anything. Was Uh, 2017 the year you traded Cousins? No, it was the year we drafted Fox Mm. and um, we signed Zach Randolph and... And Buddy Hill, you had Buddy
1: Hill traded already, right? Because the Cousins trade brought yeah, in Buddy. I think that Hill.
0: happened before. But anyway, oh, he was responsible
1: for the three-year, fifty-one million dollar deal for George Hill. Yeah. Oh, so Lord. my point
0: is, uh, I even though we're talking to all these, or apparently the short list includes uh, Webster from the Raptors and Zarin from Celtics, and you know, a bunch of these guys from good organizations. We're going to end up going to the next guy cuz that's just what the kings do. So think
1: outside the box a little bit. How about a couple Indian podcasters, good-natured guys who would happily do this job for probably at least, you know, no more than 60% of the salary they're probably going to pay Scott Perry.
0: I know, right? Like should we submit our names for uh for consideration?
1: Yeah, send me should the link. DM
0: Vivek asking him if he wants to jump on the pod and you know, doing on <laughs> we're the like spot 0
1: for, we're over nine on DMing celebrities <laughs> to jump on the pod. So I think 10 wouldn't hurt. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> I don't know. But it's, you know, it's good time. You know, this what this is like when you finally get rid of, um, you know, for mm-hmm. you, it was Ernie Grunfeld. Amazing. Uh, Vlade was a real problem. And now from here on out, hopefully things can only get better. So we'll if see. I can
1: give you a little bit of advice. Blotty fucked the team up in so many ways, as did Ernie, and getting rid of him is only step one. Whoever comes in, even if they do a good job around the fringes, it's going to take a long time to unwind all the damage that has already existed. And so you got to be patient, even though you already patient for the Vladi years, you got to now be patient for the next guy to figure it out for him. For, for you know for the next wave of of the players on the team, so I've
0: been patient for 14 years, man. We haven't made the playoffs in 14 years. I can wait another two or three, so yeah. I'm good. All
1: right, well, we'll be looking forward to you taking the over on Kings wins uh, next year's pod, so. <laughs> All right. With that, that's a wrap. Awesome time today. As usual, please rate, review and subscribe to Thick and Thin on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. Enjoy the playoffs. Enjoy the very uh, distracted working from home model we all have going on right now. And I'll talk to you next week, man.